Hey honeys, this is your host Marissa. Welcome to the Honey Health and Wellness Podcast. Get ready to unlock your full potential as I dive into all things health, wellness, spirituality, and self-development. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast, Mia Finley. So Mia is the founder of Beyond Body Coaching, um, this which is an eating disorder recovery practice. So Mia, along with her team of coaches, uh, practice globally, offering practical guidance to um, on disordered eating habits, body image, and fear around food. Mm-hmm. Um, Mia has been present across news channels such as Nine News, the Sydney Morning Herald, ABC News, just to name a few. So I'm really um, happy to have you on the podcast this week. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I first discovered your work on YouTube, actually. So I'm a big YouTube binger. I don't go much on Instagram and TikTok, but I love that long-form content. And I found your um, videos on YouTube, and I really loved how, like, how you articulated yourself and the and the topics that you covered in a way that kind of made me aware to things that I wouldn't have thought were an issue. So to be more specific, I, the first video I watched of yours was Sarah, the Sarah Day, Sarah's Day video that you covered. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) because there was so much hype around it and I'm like, okay, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I don't really, I don't know. So let me just watch a video. I want to see what's happening. And, um, you know, it's on me as YouTube channel. If you want to watch it, I'll link all this stuff below. But I think, um, you were able to, you know, cover so many of these topics around eating disorders and how some of the um, visuals and the, the things that she was saying could have been triggering. And it really got my mind kind of more aware to these things. And I was like, hey, like, what, there are so many of these, you know, influences out there, these, you know, different platforms. And it made me think, you know, we really do have to be conscious of what information we're taking as fact mm-hmm. and, you know, what information are they sharing that actually can be really harmful. Um, and, yeah, like I said, you really beautifully were like, hey, like, look, this is triggering and, like, you know, um, outlines it all. So it's a great video, kind of a side note. But, yeah, that is how I got into your work. So would you be able to give an overview of what you do, how you got into the work you're doing and, yeah. Sure. I'm so glad that you found us. There's so great, you know, there's so many different avenues to people finding the channel and the community. Sometimes it is like the more diet culture stuff. Sometimes it's the eating disorder stuff and it all belongs in the same kind of spectrum when people think they are different. But when we see it, you know, with that little bit more nuance of like, oh yeah, no, I can see now how this might actually be part of the same group of issues we tend to think like eating disorders diet culture they all belong together unfortunately yeah yeah um, but uh so a bit of my story so you found me where I started which is YouTube so mm-hmm. it's in August of this year is will be 10 years for me not only being on YouTube but being recovered from my eating disorder so I had wow. anorexia binge purge subtype And if you go all the way back to the beginning, my very first video is of me uh, talking to my iPad before I went to my first psychologist session. Um, Just a little bit of like a, I wonder how I'll feel looking back on this in a week. That's as far down the track as I was thinking. And now it's been a decade, which is pretty extraordinary. Like to think of 25-year-old Mia where she was and where life is now. Um, So really it was just a diary. Truly it was for no other purpose other than keeping a record of my process uh, because I ran Mm -hmm. out of space on my iPad and it was very, very small for a long time. Um, 
And it became apparent pretty quickly with the comments I was receiving how hard it was for for people to get access to care, how hard it was for people to get better, the misunderstandings and stigmas that we have around eating disorders. So it started to turn more into advocacy, so more more so teaching myself and then by virtue sharing that with my audience. Uh, So it became more of a channel centred around advocacy, uh, started to get into fundraising, the Butterfly mm. Foundation got in touch with me. We raised about $10,000 one year. Amazing. Started speaking with them and it was through my work with them that they let me know that recovery coaching was now a thing. So coaching mm. has been an area of practice, say, in the sobriety field for a long time. It's uh, like a sponsor but much more skilled up. So you're mm-hmm. trained to be able to help people to tackle the day-to-day issues of recovery, clothes shopping, food shopping, helping them unpack thoughts as they come up in real time, helping them to problem solve, providing email support. I'm literally like playing tennis with people's emails every day. Like, Mia, this thing happened. What do I do? Okay, let's problem solve it in real time. And that really appealed to me because uh, I could use my lived experience. But Mm -hmm. as anybody who's been watching my channel would see, qualifications are very important to me. So I and got accredited at the Carolyn Coston Institute and mm-hmm. started a business about a little over five years ago and very quickly built up a wait list. So on average, we've had about 200 people on a wait list within about a year of the business starting. Wow. Uh, so went out and recruited other Carolyn Coston Institute accredited coaches. We now have somebody in Belgium, somebody in Germany, two in Dubai, one in the US and one up in Byron Bay. And she's actually a former client of mine who's now fully recovered. That is uh, extraordinary. Yeah. And we're about to launch our very first Beyond Body Retreats down in Mollymook um, on the wow. South Coast. And that's actually yeah. with Holly, who's my former client. Um, yeah. So just an unbelievably happy accident. None of it was on purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a plan at all. Yeah. yeah, that is extraordinary. And look, the work that you're doing now for other other people is that you know were these services that you had available to you also or were these kind of like hey there's so many gaps in my healing process and I want to start something a little bit different or that's a great question it's a bit of both so (laughs) what I find like when I go and speak with uh, butterfly foundation like we tend to speak to like major stakeholders in Australia MPs Mm -hmm. um you know federal ministers um, uh, we speak to, you know, people who are, uh, heading up major, you know, networks and people who we want to engage to basically be major donors. Right. And we're trying yes. to tell them, this is the story. And yes. the thing we always leave them with as dire as access is, and treatment is not easy to, um, get into in Australia, we have, you know, one residential facility up in Queensland that's only been around for a little over a year. Um, mm-hmm. We have nothing in regional areas. We only have 47 hospital beds and nothing in three states. Um, oh, yeah. A million Australians suffering. It has the highest mortality rate and for the longest time received the least funding. So this that doesn't sound like a very hopeful oh story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I literally have like chills when you talk about it. You just, I don't, I didn't under, really understand the enormity of the the issue yeah yeah it's it's huge it's huge and it's been it's been like that for a long time it's not like oh it's only been in the last couple of years it's been that way forever highest mortality rate lowest funding right and that was one of the first things that got me into the advocacy stuff on YouTube was I was like that doesn't make sense like forget right or wrong 
That doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Something with a high mortality rate should probably not be at the lowest on the list with funding. Yeah. But the, the story I always leave them with, whoever I'm sort of speaking to, is by far across all areas of advocacy, whether it's in mental health or you know physical health conditions, eating disorders have the greatest ripple effect of people wanting to come back and contribute to the next sort of you know, person who's going through the process. They become wow. coaches, they become dietitians, they become psychologists, they become psychiatric nurses, advocates. They give back to a system which they give back to because of what they were given and also what they weren't given. So I would say yeah. same story for me. Mm-hmm. So what I was given, I was extraordinarily lucky that A, I got in front of a GP who took it seriously. Yeah. GP not trained to spot or really help very productively with the beginning part of helping someone get treatment for an eating disorder. Um, yeah. was very lucky to get in front of an excellent psychologist. I couldn't afford a dietitian. I couldn't, coaches weren't a thing back then. Yeah. I did know inpatient was an option, but I certainly couldn't have afforded it if it were. Um, mm. So I was incredibly lucky to get the help I did get, but the gaps that were there, um, like someone with a lived experience saying there's hope, you're not going to be fighting this thing forever. My psychologist, yeah, "Yeah, you're going to be in recovery forever. Then I came across a couple of years into my recovery, Carolyn Coston, who's a giant in this field. She's an expert. She started some of the very first residential facilities in America, Montanito. Our residential land is based on her model. It's that effective. Um, And she had a lived experience and she said, I'm fully recovered. Um, So even just being able to pay forward what's possible, but then the privilege of being able to walk alongside people and see their day-to-day progress. And then once they finish with you and like a year later, you get like a photo of the newborn baby or them graduating or on their dream holiday. And it's like, you know, you've done all these little things with them that add up to, you know, not just surviving, but they're actually living their lives. Um, So yeah, it's, it's both. It's, it's going back and filling a gap and trying yeah. to pass on what you were given if you were lucky enough to get treatment. Yeah, that the you know the statistics that you shared are just like I said they're absolutely mind blowing. But I think you know to hear how you founded it all, it's just such a. Um, I love that you're advocating for on a, on a really on a larger scale. Like you know, like you said, you're talking to you know people high up in state and trying to get this out in front of people. And also then working on, you know, the people that are struggling with this issue. And um, it's it's interesting to me, like I, I'm sure it has it has more to do with just, um, you know, the stigma surrounding eating disorders that, you know, why, why is this not an issue? Like why is this not, why is it not talked about more? I think there's a few reasons. I think one of the major ones is that a large part of the stereotype is that this only affects young, white, affluent teenage girls. So right. if we look at the affluent category, like people who are wealthy, well, then if they need treatment, they can go and get treatment. That's just not statistically true. Eating right. disorders do not discriminate. They do not just show up in one segment of the population. Um, mm-hmm. They affect people of all genders, gender identities, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all ages. I have worked with clients in their teens, 20s, 40s, 60s. I've had clients in their um, early to mid 80s Mm. uh, and people who have developed eating disorders for the first time later Mm -hmm. in life in their 60s and 70s, first time they've ever experienced those kinds of symptoms. Um, 
So we just know that it doesn't discriminate, but because of that stereotype um, Mm -hmm. and probably because of, uh, I think there's some sexism in there as well. Like, oh, you know, it's a female problem. It's a woman problem. It's vanity. It's superficiality. Yeah. Wrong. Um, So if they weren't so vain and superficial, then they wouldn't end up with these problems. So it's a character feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, where we just know it's so much more complicated than that. These are, yeah. bio, um, you know, these are biopsychosocial uh, issues. They are yeah. biological in part. We know that you can have a genetic predisposition to an eating disorder. There mm-hmm. was a genetic study which was started a couple of years ago. We found the first genetic marker for anorexia. Wow. Uh, we know that there are social issues that contribute uh, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, diet culture, um, and we know that it can also be that it's connected to comorbidities. It's how people cope with anxiety, with trauma. Uh, trauma yep. is actually probably one of the most common issues that we come across with our clients mm. uh, and get them in front of a therapist because that's not the role of a coach to unpack that stuff. Yep. Uh, but it's so much more complex than just, I went on a diet and whoops, I ended up with an eating disorder. Or I want to look at yep. this way, whoops, I ended up with an eating disorder. Can yeah, contributing factor, absolutely. But it's a mm. bigger and more um, complicated, perfect storm for each yeah. individual. There's no cookie cutter way that somebody ends up with an eating disorder. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess like any real, you know, illness or disease, it's always multifaceted. There's so many different layers to it. So, yeah, like you mentioned, there's the, um, you know, your predisposition to it. There's the social element of it. Um, and you know, there's that trauma element to it as well. So it is multi-layered and, um, you know, I think a lot of the conversation out there is that it's just one thing or the other. So it's, yeah, it's important to, I guess, lay that out. It's a complex, it's complex issue, but, um, I, I want to ask a question that I'm sure a lot of people have on their minds and I'm curious for your opinion in what what you know power do you think that social media is having over you know the influence of you know potentially pushing people that were maybe had all these other elements and that social media maybe just kind of tilted them over the edge you know like what role do you think that has huge huge yeah Um, yeah and the reason is because it normalizes obviously certain imagery that we know is real. And here's the thing is that I was just at an event um, with Dove uh, where they've done some of these studies around um, how do like particularly the more vulnerable age groups like teenagers, people whose brains aren't fully developed yet, looking at this kind of imagery that's face-tuned and warped and, you know, they just Mm. are being bombarded with it faster than they can develop a filter to delineate what's real and what isn't. Yeah. All the research shows that even though they know it's not real, they still are absorbing it as normal, as common, yeah. right? So they know you can say, you can print in a magazine back in my day. That's what we were looking at. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, oh, yeah. we used to, we, I go into boarding school, we used to like rip out pages from magazines and like stick them on the wall and make our own Instagram really, which <laughs> yeah. we doing it ourselves before Instagram yeah. was doing it to us or for us. Um, so we know that people can be aware and they're still absorbing it, um, as, as a standard, right? So Mm. it's not enough to say, well, it's not real. Yeah. They know it's not real. They're still, still setting a standard for them. Right. Yeah. And I think the issue with that is 
it's not about, I don't want people to then hear me say that and think, well, you know, you've just said it's not about vanity and superficiality. It isn't. Here's how I think this stuff can develop where social media is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, these are images that are being uh, presented not only as like this is an ideal body or beauty standard that's being put out there. It's everything that goes behind it. It's mm. the perfect life being depicted. It's the perfect mm-hmm. relationship. It's the success. It's the wealth. It's the holidays. It's this. It's the that. So we start to equate these certain bodies with mm. you have that, you have greater access to these things. Things yeah. a lot of people want. Acceptance, love, friendship, popularity, um, success, whatever that measure of success is for you. So that's the message that is put out, which is one kind of body gives you access to all these things that most people naturally as human beings want that goes beyond the superficial, right? Mm -hmm. So social media just oversimplifies the human experience down to like, look this way, life is perfect. You never have problems. Like, you know, everybody loves you. Nobody judges you. Um, Yeah. Which when we step back, we know that is totally illogical. No one gets out of this life thing without challenges and, you know, our own yeah. set of, uh, things that we've got to tackle. Mm. Uh, but I think particularly for those younger brains that have a harder time without the life experience, without that, you know, exposure to different people, different walks of life, different representations of what, you know, success and acceptance and all that sort of stuff is, it looks like one plus one equals two. If I want to be a person of value, this is the body I keep being shown and this, Mm. you know, appearance I keep being shown. So therefore that is how I have access to those things that we all naturally want. Yeah. It's quite um, jarring. Like I think, you know, I am an adult. I'm not, you know, 13 anymore. And I still understand that these, these, these images are photoshopped and I completely can relate. So you're like, okay, I don't, Cool, but I'm still looking at it and it still seems like something that you know should be attainable when it's like it just completely isn't but it's also quite scary to think that it's like these body trends they they come and they go and it's like we're expected to just like ad- adapt to these things and it's like well hang on like this is my body like it actually serves a purpose and it's like how do I just now go now it's like super in trend to be like stick thing let's run with that and there's just this there's this level of like no consciousness it's just like okay yeah sure and like people just completely you know navigate towards whatever's trending and it's like how do you navigate that it's like do you navigate that or do you just like get off social media you know (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a few things we can do because as much as you know when people say to me do you think that so social media is um a good or a bad thing and I'm like yes both like yeah of course my whole career it gave me an avenue to recovery it's given me community it's you know um it's given me so much it it gave me a lot of freedom but it just Mm. depended on how I used it but I was also 25 I was also navigating that right Mm. um uh I look back and I wouldn't call 25 year old me or an adult, but that's technically yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as the body trends, I think that we got conditioned, particularly if, you know, you were in that kind of like fitness ebook era, like the bikini body challenges. Oh my God. Um, which thank goodness have kind of fallen out. I think if somebody came out with one of those right now, we'd be like, mm, 
Um, Can you not? <laughs> we've done this. Um, We're done. <laughs> exactly, which is why, yeah. you know, you mentioned the Sarah's Day thing at the top. I was like, no, 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 no. We've, we've talked about this. We've had this conversation. And yeah. also first time I've ever seen this marketed to people with eating disorders exclusively. That was like, she, that was right. a real stone she managed there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But with the body trends, you know, we were sold these products, these, you know, guides, these, you know, diet plans, A, by people who have no qualification to be doing so, not dietitians. Um, that's the only person who is qualified to give you advice. And any mm-hmm. any qualified dietitian is not going to be giving a cookie cutter diet to anyone in just a yeah. go to my website and buy a plan. They will only give individualized advice. Yeah. Uh, but the way that those products were marketed was with a body type. Eat like this, exercise like this, look like me, um, yeah. which is ludicrous because the first barrier to that is genetics. Yeah. You not follow these body trends because genetically your body is not built to be like Play-Doh and pushed into all of these shapes. You are genetically in a certain weight range. You're meant to be a certain height. You're meant to be, and all those things are going to also change and fluctuate throughout your life. It's like yeah. I'm so tall. It would be like me buying a plan from someone being like, would you like to be five foot five like me? Here's my yeah. plan. It's like, well, yeah. this is it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless it's like knee and ankle removal surgery, that's not going to happen, right? Literally, yeah. So it's totally understandable that many of us are walking around with this idea that our body is meant to accommodate all of these different um, trends when mm. first and foremost, genetically, it's not possible. It's also a very, very quick avenue towards if not an eating disorder, disordered eating, disordered exercise, mm. uh, uh, particularly if it's, you know, something that's being marketed to you, they're usually, you know, calorie contents of like what a toddler should be eating. So yeah. that's not something you should be doing. Um, yeah. And the way to engage with it is to educate yourself about the nature of diet culture, why mm-hmm. it exists, why it's profitable, why is somebody incentivized to show you these images or to sell you this lifestyle or to, um, yeah, like we were just talking about before, even influencers. Influencers are incentivized to show you this body type and this lifestyle because they get paid to do so. They get paid yeah. aspirational. Um, mm-hmm. So the best thing that I did for myself was to start to get curious. And the first text for me was uh, the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf. It's an okay. excellent text. It was written back in the 90s. I wish you would update it for, um, soon, you know, like the current culture with social media, et cetera. Yeah. But it did so much to explain how I came to believe these things about myself and particularly my body and my obligation to look a certain way and be a certain way and follow certain, as we're talking about, like body trends, et cetera. Um, yep. And why people, all kinds of industries are incentivized to sell those trends to us, mm. industry, diet industry, cosmetic industry, you know, uh, beauty industry, yep. they are incentivized to send, sell these trends to us because it, it, it makes them a ton of money. Yeah. Um, so the education piece is incredibly important so that mm. you can observe it rather than just like react immediately to it, seeing yeah. it. Oh, well, that's what I'm expected to do, as opposed yeah. to stepping back and looking at it and going, why is that person incentivized to show that to me? Why, mm. what, what is the message behind what is being said that maybe yeah. isn't 
being as direct as it should be. Yeah, I think that's probably the most logical and best advice is to educate yourself because I would I, I started kind of once I started watching your videos, you know, all these different kind of people that started talking about these things, you know, started popping up and I started watching them and I was like, you know what? Absolutely, like this is so true. Like you and I still see videos come up and they're like, here are my top five exercises for a snatched waist and yeah. a larger bum. I'm like, how? How do you do that? What, a plank's going to give you a smaller waist and a larger bump? It's like, no, what? Oh, it's like you exercise to, you can't like, you know, even like the idea of being able to spot treat fat on your body was like, we're just like now debunking that. It's like 2023 and it's like now people are going like, hey, if you if you lift weights and you exercise, like it doesn't mean that you're going to get this type of body. Like it's just a tool for like your mental health and your strength. It's not a tool for weight loss. Mm-hmm. and that's what I thought for so long. That's what I was trained with for so long. And I think in a lot of ways it contributed to like some unhealthy habits of like, well, I can kind of eat what I want and I just got to run it off. I got to run, run, run it off because that's what we're kind of taught. And it's just Mm -hmm. only lately that I'm like, you know what? Hey, like that doesn't make sense anymore. So I think, you know, fitness influencers and influencers in general, they I would say they've taken a little bit of a a downfall because people are starting to become aware and they're like, hang on, I'm not buying this game anymore, which is a good thing because like you mentioned, people need to be a lot more discerning about this is serious information. Like we're talking about your nutrition. We're talking about your lifestyle, you know, ease up. Like let's think who we're taking this advice from. And I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, we've taken that shift towards that because it's frightening it's you know like uh we've been sold these like packaged definitions of health and versions of health healthy for who like who when my clients come to me and they're like but me I like that food's not healthy and I'm like it is for you because (laughs) the amount of stress that you put your body through arguing with yourself about this food and then what you would do to yourself if you gave yourself permission to have that food and the strain yes. on your body and the stress you would put yourself through. Like what are most chronic illnesses exacerbated or caused by? Stress. What mm. is one of the biggest killers that is caused or exacerbated by stress? Cancer. So yeah. this idea that like micromanaging your relationship with food is healthy Mm-hmm. stressing your body out by not giving it um, sufficient nutrition because you're on a healthy weight loss journey. That's an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't by definition, be healthy, right? Yeah. If something's common doesn't mean it's normal or healthy. It just means it's common for people to eat and exercise and these disorders. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, healthy, it's not about trying to fit into this. Do you remember like the food pyramid? Oh God, yeah. Who, oh. Is that for? Is that who, <laughs> who did that? Right? Which who health condition? That? Which health profile? Yeah. Or when people like, I mean, there was a time when Pete Evans seemed a lot more credible than he does now, and people were actually listening to him. And he was yeah. like, everyone should go keto. Everyone. There's no excuse for no one to go keto. I was like, like Eskimos in your right? Yeah. People who live in food deserts, people who socioeconomically can't access that food. Like, who are you talking about? Yeah. So, yeah. It's less about trying to cram yourself into these totally unqualified definitions of health and real, realizing that health is individual, mm-hmm. it's nuanced, and it's about finding the definition of healthy and health that supports yeah. you and that your mental health and physical health aren't separate. They yeah. belong together. So if you're making physical health choices that um, 
impacts your mental health, there's no way you're supporting your overall health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like what you're saying, it it all comes back down to education, like that pyramid. I'm glad you mentioned it because I frequently think about the education that I got about health in high school. It's abysmal. It actually is really, really bad. I remember my PA. They put you on scales in primary school? Uh, In high school, I was put on a scale, yes. And I was only, I was taught by my PE teacher. I remember like sitting down in the hall and he held up an apple and he goes, do you know how many calories in this apple? And I'm like, no. I'm like, now I do, great. And he goes, and do you know how many calories are in this, um, this chocolate bar? And we're like, no, we don't know. And then all of us, I remember we left that PE class and then we're like, we're literally just not going to eat. Like it's impossible to burn off this apple. Like how, and he was like, do you know how, how much time exercise it would take to burn off this apple or this? And our brains are just like going in circles. And, and that really is just so, it's, it's abysmal. I don't know what it's like in high school now, but it just goes to show that I'm glad that we're kind of educate you're, you're educating people. And like this information is starting to get out there because I'm, you know, not in high school anymore. And only now things are kind of like clicking together. I'm like, huh, okay. (laughs) We were put on scales in year one. So we were six. Yeah, we were six. Our height and our weight. I don't, I don't even know what I remember it viscerally because I never had a good relationship with my body. I was very, very tall. Being a young child, I was bigger than my friends. I was bullied. Mm -hmm. I was called Jenny Craig. Like, I had a, I was really lucky. I had this beautiful little group of friends who used to like protect me from these bullies, but you know, kids are kids. They're going to say unkind things. Right. And even though I had this lovely little group of friends, it, I still remember it. I still remember that feeling. And even though I don't remember why they were putting six-year-olds on scales, I still remember them putting up our name, our height and our weight. And that my Mm. weight was higher because the teacher pointed it out and didn't say, and this is why, because bodies are different and they're all wonderful. And, you know, yeah. uh, Mia is this tall and that she's that short. And that's therefore like, look at that diversity in our group. It was just like, oh, you're a big girl compared to everyone else. At six. Wow. Like, yeah. What chance do we have? <laughs> yeah. What chance? It's, right? um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite stifling. It's just, um, it's, yeah. Yeah. And then to find out they're still doing that. I was no. like, no way they're still, I never even gave it a second thought until someone reached out to me with a petition. They're like, can you talk about this? And I was like, this is a joke. This isn't still happening. Not reality. Later, It is still happening all over Australia. They're putting primary school age kids on scales and putting the numbers up on the board and having no, like no productive conversation about what any of that means other than comparison. Six. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, actually terrifying but it really does you know it is so much there's so much to say on what health is what health means to you and it is holistic like people like I really like the whole thing of like the podcast and like getting people on like you I'm like it's a whole thing like it's not just like eat an apple you're healthy it's like there's a lot more to it so that's that's crazy that they're still doing that my mind is blown I'm very concerned like I laugh out of shock like I'm just like I don't know how to like what are you what don't laugh you'll cry that's yeah, right literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally but um I guess you know it leads me kind of to my other question which is with the pandemic which I've kind of tried to erase from my mind what yeah. what impact did that have on eating disorders I imagine it was quite severe considering the mental health you know, aspect and of meeting of eating disorders. It was enormous. Um, yeah, 
and I think it was a it was a real microcosm or you know putting under the microscope so many of the reasons why people become ill with eating disorders and stay ill um isolation um by the time people are reaching out for help with eating disorders they are isolated they've cut off from their families and friends they've Mm -hmm. like stopped being able to work um that certainly happened to me I went into recovery I had nothing at that point absolutely nothing no connection with anyone so Mm -hmm. to be forced into isolation uh, when you might have sort of that predisposition was devastating for people, absolutely mm. devastating. Um, uh, the lack of access to their support system, so people actively in recovery had a really, really tough time um, and people who had never experienced an eating disorder by virtue of that isolation and not having their usual support just with general life stuff meant mm-hmm. that, you know, they had this to turn to, lack of control. Um, eating disorders are very easily boiled down to it's, you know, just a need for control. There's truth to that and there isn't. For some people that's yeah. true, for others it isn't. Um, I think of it as less as like trying to have control as trying to have predictability. So mm-hmm. even though eating disorders are terrible, they are really predictable. You wake up every day and you know what your rules are and you know what you're going to have and you know mm. what you're going to have. And if you break that rule, then you're going to use this behaviour. It's an equation. So it's less... Yeah that eating people with eating disorders are like these controlling people they're mm. looking for predictability what was less predictable than the pandemic right from mm. day to day we were getting case number updates and what did that mean for where we could go and who we could see um unpredictability about like when people were going to see loved ones again when could they go to wa when could they get over the border in queensland if they went over the border in queensland were they going to get stuck up there yes unbelievably unpredictable incredibly uh, lonely, isolating, mm. um, also things like scarcity mindset. Uh, you know, the fact that food was flying off the shelves was incredibly distressing to people with eating disorders. Mm. Even if they're in active recovery, we're, we're gradually giving them more exposure to food. So mm-hmm. they have certain foods that they're more comfortable with and those foods yeah. are available to them. And these aren't people who can go in and go, Oh, like my usual muesli bar's gone. I'll get that one instead. Yeah. It's yeah. Not that one. It's not happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole mountain they've got to climb to mm. be able to get used to the other muesli bar. So it was incredibly, um, incredibly impactful on two fronts to people who are actively unwell, well, three fronts, actively unwell, actively in recovery, and people who'd never experienced an eating disorder. Mm. Or uh very quickly i think it was within like two or three months we saw like a 20 to 40 percent increase in people presenting for treatment with eating disorders for like the first time let alone the people yeah. who had to come back to treatment or needed more treatment um and we just didn't have we already didn't have the resources for them we have as i noted in like those stats at the top of our chat we were already in a crisis ever since eating disorders have been advocated for Mm. We were in a crisis. The pandemic exacerbated that crisis exponentially. Um, Mm -hmm. It was one of the mental illnesses that just skyrocketed. Um, And we just didn't, we just don't have the care for people in a normal sense, but in a pretty pretty atypical event like the pandemic, we just accommodate people. Like you might say to me, oh, your business is booming. And I was like, that's nothing to celebrate. Yeah, like this is not good. Yeah. 
I don't throw parties when I'm like, woohoo, my wait list is at 250, guys. It's like that that represents each person desperately reaching out for help, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I, I, as I said, I think it was a perfect um, under the microscope uh, look into why, like the patterns that people find themselves in with yeah. eating but they were kind of like, forced into it, which I also understand. I totally understand why we had the lockdowns. I totally understand all those measures for public health. I yes. don't think nothing's done to support people's mental health if those measures no. were taken. Not uh, at all. And both could have been achieved. And now we have the Labor government reducing the amount of mental health um, spots that people can access on an annual basis. Just as a caveat, that doesn't apply to eating disorders. Eating disorders has a diff- different Medicare number. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not only has it made a huge impact, but mm. government is still not actively um, sort of balancing out the impact that it did have. There is, it almost seems like there is just, how could you ever really balance it out? Like it's just, it's kind of like irrecoverable, like to hear about the level of like, you know, mental health issues it's caused and that's still ongoing and it's just you know, like you mentioned, some people just aren't able to get the help. And then if they are able to get the help, maybe it's just not available just due to, you know, the tightness of, you know, what's happening with the government. But it it makes me think like the way that, you know, eating disorders, I think are described to people, there seems to be that stigma around it's something that's self-inflicted. So it's their fault. So it's their issue. So they can fix it kind of a thing. Um, which is sick, like that's a really, and I'm not saying that's an appropriate way to think about it, but I think a lot of the time when people, um, you know, hear that someone has an eating disorder, it's just this idea of like, oh, like get get over it, like get over it kind of a thing. So I think, you know, I guess, again, with the government, there's so many layers to it, but it it does make me think that that's how it feels, the approach that they're taking to um, eating disorders and mental health as well. So we've, you know, as much as there's sort of a, there was, I think it was a really broad, we were let down very, and it was worse in the UK actually. They had, you know, far more extensive lockdowns and their mental health support for their population was like Mm. nothing. Um, Here in Australia, more broadly, mental health definitely wasn't supported um, I will say because of the work that Butterfly has done in the last few years, um, like the picture of eating disorders, if we, you don't understand, um, like we, we talk about how dire it is and, you know, the poor access to uh, care, et cetera. The work mm-hmm. that Butterfly has done and some MPs have done to improve funding um, like, for instance, three years ago, three or four years ago, we got our first Medicare number for eating disorders. And wow. the government said, you can get 10 psychologist sessions subsidised. And they went, nope, not good enough. So it's yeah. four subsidised psychologist sessions a year and 20 dietetic sessions a year. Um, wow. Huge, which, you know, isn't going to cure it, but it's definitely, you know, a level of support that was more appropriate than, like, this thing isn't getting cured in 10 sessions that's a ludicrous um idea experienced an eating disorder Mm. Um, so as far as um the growing awareness and interest and passion from certain members of government and 
certainly like just the ongoing tireless efforts of outfits like Butterfly Foundation, Ended, which is another great foundation up in Queensland, Eating Disorders Victoria, Eating Disorders Queensland. The thing that I want people to know is there are people out there who are working so hard, who are so passionate that on the face of it, it might look like we are crawling. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a duck, right? Like where their legs are going crazy underwater and it looks like there's yeah. not much happening on the surface. So I never want to leave anyone with the idea that um, there aren't people out there who are working incredibly hard every day to continue to improve uh, the state of things for eating disorder sufferers and even just by virtue of how much change has been able to happen in the last three or four years shows, you know, when we all put our efforts together, what can Mm. be achieved. Um, Yeah. Changing um, in a positive direction and continue to. That is good. That is amazing information to hear. And I guess, yeah, it, there is there is hope. So it's it's amazing that you share that the work that people are, on, are like actively doing. I wanted to ask you for people who, you know, maybe are listening to this pod- podcast or maybe have started to realise like, you know what, maybe I do have potentially some disordered eating habits. Like what's the first step in like getting help? Like how do you, how does, how does someone reach out? Like what, what do you do? What do you recommend to your clients? Sure. So, uh, so my first bit of um, advice is always to take the pressure off yourself first and foremost, mm-hmm. not to necessarily like go to a family member or go to a partner or whomever. If you're really confident that that's your best avenue, excellent. And not to say that it wouldn't be, but you've got to first kind of get comfortable with what's going on, right? There is yeah. a bit of a period of coming out of denial for some people, like for me, if you if people watch my early videos, I very rarely make reference to eating disorder. I'll talk about depression and anxiety, but I won't mm. use the words eating disorder, even though mm-hmm. I, I had received a diagnosis, which isn't um, unfortunately something that is accessible. A lot of people go a long time without a diagnosis or not at all. Mm. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with that language. So very often people have got to kind of like first and foremost have some conversations to get them to the place where they can accept where they are, which is why I always recommend that people reach out to whatever their um, foundation might be, like Butterfly Foundation in Australia, um, there's Beat in the UK, Nida in America, um, BodyWise I think is Ireland's Eating Disorder Foundation. So you should be able to find somewhere where you can call or, for instance, Butterfly introduce like a chat function, which is the more... Uh, popular way that they get contacted, obviously, because of the demographic that would probably feel more comfortable, like talking over text yeah. rather than chatting. Um, yeah. Just to ask the questions you want to ask, just to mm. get comfortable with the language and what's going on. Um, and they can also point you in the direction of resources. They can mm-hmm. point you in the direction of maybe a GP or a psychologist and talk you through what are the actual practical steps towards getting treatment and getting help if that's something that's available to you. Yeah. Through how do I tell my parents? How do I tell my partner? How do I tell my you know friends? Whoever your support system is, mm. uh, and then taking the next step of sharing it with somebody who you trust, right? Yeah. Um, in tandem with taking some of those steps to get in front of a psychologist, getting on a mental health plan, um, having somebody come with you if that makes that a more doable process for you, somebody who can advocate for you. Even when I go to specialist appointments, I usually take somebody with me because I forget what to ask. I forget yeah. things they've said, right? And together we can kind of like piece it all together. 
Yeah. Um, and to plug into communities, whether it's the What Mia Did Next community, coming and watching some videos, yeah, Instagram, being incredibly discerning. This is always the advice that I give if you are seeking out recovery content. Please start by only following professionals, mm-hmm. and dietitians, um, psychologists who specialize in eating disorders. Um, you can come and find me and see who I follow. Anyone who I follow is going to be a responsible, reliable source of information and inspiration. Um, just ease yourself into that community and what all those different representations of recovery can look like, all those messages of hope. Um, the most important thing is accessing the treatment if you can mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that you have appropriate support around you. You're not obligated to tell anyone and everyone, yeah. uh, but just the people who you pretty instinctively know are going to provide you know that bit of cushioning around you while you start to get comfortable with what this yeah. process involves. Yeah, absolutely. So just baby steps and just reaching out, finding support and yeah, baby steps. And I oh, will pop all the resources below. But um yeah, I think community is a it's a really good point that you make when people feel like they're not the only person going through this journey, it becomes a little bit more uh, you know, manageable to see a way out and a and a better way of um living. Um now, to close out the episode, I want to ask you one last question on uh, body trends, which I know might be a loaded question, but I think it's a really something that's at the top of my mind. I know we touched on it previously a little bit before, but uh, there's this certain uh, diet uh, or weight loss medication, which I'm not going to name because I don't want to advocate for it because people can, go, people can go find it and I'm not interested in yeah pushing it and letting people know but um I think everyone will know what I'm talking about um so that that's happening right that's that's happening um and then we've also got uh you know this new wave of body trends coming out seems like you've made a video on this it's almost like we've reverted back to the the 2000s which is like red flags everywhere for everyone involved which is everyone yeah and I just want to know what's your, you know, your words of advice or, you know, how do we stay grounded amidst all this noise? Um, And, you know, we're in a culture where it almost seems like now, you know, these eating disorders are kind of normalised and it's okay and it's all good and just help, SOS. What (laughs) what do you got? Yeah. So I've got a couple of. Uh, things I can share. So uh, you mentioned that video that I made talking about body trends and the crux of that video was to, yes, talk about the fact that, I mean, it's pretty triggering for, I don't know how old you are. I'm 35. Yeah. I really remember that those 2000s, as I said, we used to tear out, you know, magazines and put them on our walls and stare at them all day. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is quite triggering. It's like, oh, God, I can't believe our memories are this short. How do we not know this? Yeah. Here's the first really promising piece of um, a bit of like reflection, which is mm-hmm. the response has been, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, so, please. So the response has been, like, <laughs> fuck this noise. If yeah. you look up like the skinny trend, all the headlines are like the skinny trend is trying to come back. Like, screw that. We are not doing that. Um, What's problematic about the skinny trend? You know, Kim Kardashian coming out about the Met Gala and what she did to lose weight at that time. Like, how irresponsible? How could she be sharing that? Mm. 
The response has been so indicative of the fact that we are not just breathing fumes in like it's oxygen anymore. We know it's I grew up with no awareness of this stuff. I have so much hope for like Gen Z because they get it. Like they see it, they get it. If they see a brand, which is that early 2000s, Anna Wintour, like we don't do body diversity, which Mm -hmm. Vogue then had to do a big 180 on that one because it wasn't helping their sales because these people are now saying, we won't buy from you if we can't see you in see ourselves in your brand if we can't see in your brand it's why Fenty does so well it's Mm. why all these you know um people who refuse to get on that train have disappeared as far as like the big names in fashion they refuse to evolve and so their profit margin goes down which is incredible like Victoria's Secret Victoria's Secret bye-bye doesn't exist pretty like much yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah like that that show from one year to the next because they refused to even consider having mm. a transgender model in their show everyone went mm. you're done like you are yeah. done. you are not yeah. reflecting where society is heading in terms of how we want to see diversity represented so yeah. I have a lot of hope I have a lot of hope yeah. um, the other thing that I noted in that video was all of these women who were kind of held up and heralded as these examples of the body ideal in that skinny trend era, the majority have come out since and said that they had eating disorders. Yeah. Terrifying. So that was happening then. Mm. That is what's happening now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just mm. replace their names with whoever is like the current day poster child for that body type. Um because doesn't matter how much money you have, what level of celebrity you are, mm. you don't have special genetics that you just get to play around with. You mm. are, if you are not eating enough, you're suffering. If you mm-hmm. are making yourself move when your body doesn't want to or it's hurting, you're suffering. Mm-hmm. If you are unable to spontaneously say yes to go to dinner with your friends or can't accept a glass of champagne when your friend has an amazing thing happen and they want to celebrate with you, you are mm-hmm. suffering. Doesn't yeah. matter how much money you have, if you're doing those things, you are suffering. Yeah. So it will be very interesting when this trend passes, and it will, because it'll be mm. replaced by something else horrific that we've already yeah. experienced. Yeah. Uh, probably like the Kim K era will have come around by the time everyone's talking about, oh, back in, you know, the 2020s when mm. people had eating disorders because they were trying to follow this trend. Now all these celebrities are coming out and being more transparent, right? Yeah. The other thing that I, as far as like a practical thing to do is, I mean, it's tr- it's trotted out because it works. Get this shit off your feed. Get it off your feed. Yeah. When we talked earlier about if you're a child and you're absorbing that, you don't have the capacity to really delineate between what's real and what's not and not have it affect you. It's really the same thing with adults is what the research yeah. is, right? Yeah. Get it off your feed. It probably, A, doesn't make you feel good or it makes you feel nothing. Mm -hmm. I make my clients do like social media inventories. If something makes them feel bad or makes them feel nothing, Mm. why are you looking at it? Yeah, yeah. You come away feeling inspired, educated, affirmed, understood, Mm -hmm. like you belong, like that's somewhere you want to travel to. Like, yes, I would like to go to an alpaca farm and pack alpacas. Someone tell me if you know someone with an alpaca farm because I look at them all day. Why are you looking at it? Yeah. 
Right. And to also break out of that bubble of what you're looking at, an activity that I get clients to do periodically throughout their recovery when they're doing that simplifying thing of like, I have to be in this body to be these things, to be worthy, to be acceptable, to mm-hmm. belong, which is a lot of what these body trends are and dieting is. It's belonging, right? If yeah. anyone else is doing it, I'll do it. Um, is to go out into the world and actually look at people as far as how they show up in their lives. This is something yeah. I did in my recovery. So when I was unwell, I used to go to the beach and <laughs> my eating disorder would look for every single body on that beach that made me feel bad about myself. Mm. It's me. It's called having it's confirmation bias, right? So you have a belief and your brain subconsciously goes out and tries to find information that backs up that belief. Kind of like if you're like, um, all relationships end terribly. Everyone, you know, cheats on everyone because you've been cheated on once or twice. Yeah. yeah. You then go out and you go see that relationship ended that way and that one and that one and that one, right? Mm. You do the same thing with, you know, these body beliefs that we have as well. So in my recovery, I made myself go back to the beach, a hellish place for me most of my life. Mm. And I forced myself to look at every single person on the beach, every yeah. single one. And then a step further. What were they doing? Who were they with? What was their life like as far as what I could see of the snapshot? Like yep. the mom dragging her kid out of the ocean because he doesn't want to leave the beach, right? Yep. Or the mates who are playing cricket, they're down for a weekend and they're taking the piss out of each other and they're having a beer and they're all laughing. They're all in different kinds of bodies. No one's got a scale sitting there going, you can't come and hang out with us unless you weigh X or yep. unless you like, uh, take the perfect selfie, you can't come on this mate's weekend away. Mm-hmm. The elderly couple holding hands, helping each other down the shoreline who've been together forever and aren't going, you know, darling, when I saw your jean size, I just knew you were the mm. one. And when yeah. I saw the acts you had, I thought you are the you are going to be the most amazing father of my children. Like what a depressing wedding that would have been to go to. Yeah, literally, literally. So make yourself go and look at how people actually show up in their lives. Is that reflected in the things you're telling yourself and the mm information you're seeking out or maybe just absorbing without questioning um, about how you believe you have to show up in the world to be worthy, loved, accepted. Is that actually what we see? Or do we see people in all kinds of bodies have access to love, acceptance, happiness, friendship, success? That's what I see. I see it in my my colleagues. I see it in my friends, my family members. Mm. Uh, I see it everywhere. Yes, not yeah. just looking for the thing that mm. I've been told is, you know, the truth, which it is. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a that's a that's a really really good point. And that's actually that uh, something that I um, have started doing, especially on my social media feed. Like anytime I see a body that is being objectified, if that body is just a body to sell something to be objectified, that I'm like, I am sure you're a lovely person, but I <laughs> cannot. I'm like, I just Love can't. That. I will not have my body then feel like my body is an object as well. So if there's anything like on your feed for the people listening and you're looking at it and you're going, wow, I wish I had that. And if I had that, it would mean this, this, and this about me, get it off as a matter of like urgency of like your mental health. So, and it's what you're saying is exactly um, the truth in that these people have a whole life. They're not just this object, this body, like what's she doing today? Like what's her job? Like, you know, what are her beliefs? What are her values? Like (laughs) people are not just this body, like don't, don't look at that body and then copy and paste it and think 
what are their struggles? What are yeah. their, you know, like, I remember, you know, um, I've obviously never been someone who centered my body or used anything physical to sell anything. Like that's mm-hmm. obviously, that would be very off brand. Not for your thing. A weird <laughs> week for me. Um, yeah. That, you know, I remember my, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, um, I didn't, I didn't post about that for a long time. I, I yeah. was in New York. I was, I'd gone to visit him when things really started to go downhill about a year before he died. And I was like posting these photos, like Central Park and this and that. And I was like this, and I was having the worst week of my life. It was seeing how truly, because he lived in America, how truly unwell he was knowing like our lives were about to completely just explode. Mm-hmm. And it's going, oh my God, that looks amazing there. And oh my God, that oh, you look like you're having the best time. And I made this post just being like, this is what's really going on. And you yeah. would have no idea, no yeah. idea what's really happening mm. behind the scenes. And we see that a lot on YouTube. We see it when people suddenly disappear from Instagram for a long time and they come back and they're like, life is actually fine, but social media was killing me. Yep. Yeah. Right? Like it's how, frightening. Right? It's the same mm. thing, the body trend thing. How many times do we have to look back and go, yeah, those people had eating disorders. Yeah. That's now. Yeah. No, what's being represented is not the whole story. In yeah. fact, they how terrible. I also feel sorry for the people behind the lens because especially for someone who's like an influencer, I know it's not easy to elicit a lot of sympathy for influencers, but I actually mm. feel quite bad for them sometimes yeah. because it's so incentivized to make everything look perfect that if life is going to shit, yeah. you have the added pressure of making it look like the opposite. That's hard yeah. Sitting in front of a girlfriend, being like, "I just want to look like I'm okay. I just, you know, I yeah. can't go there right now." To do that in front of hundreds of thousands, millions of people, because you are risking yeah. a check if you don't. It's an extreme. Or on the other end of that extreme is that they have to share what's going on, and then they also have a solution to the problem. It's like, dude, yeah. just be in your <laughs> shit. Like, be sad, yeah. be angry, just be yeah. angry. Be like, I don't have a solution. My yeah. life's gone to shit. I'll figure it out later. But it is they're under a really odd predicament. It's a weird job. It's a it's a difficult job in its own right. And I, I think, you know, anyone. I yeah. Really, I really it's, it's there's a lot to it. And I think as, you know, um consumers of social media, like we've mentioned, just the best thing you can do is educate yourself and, and be conscious and understand what you're feeling when you're looking at something and take stock of that. Don't just keep scrolling and being and then come off and you're like, wow, now I feel like shit. It's like yeah. it's just an app and it's just is an app at the end of the day. So um maybe app, but mm-hmm. like I said, then um round that out with un- like the deeper education of, you know, like I said, there's a few great texts that I can, you know, recommend to anyone and everyone. This isn't just yeah. disorders. I think anyone and everyone would uh benefit. So I already mentioned the beauty myth. It is very, very heavy text. It's like it's almost like a PhD paper. It's very, very heavy. I'm gonna read that. Yeah. You have to listen to some things over and over to be like, okay, I think I've got it. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've got that run-on sentence in my head now. But two, I would really recommend from sort of like that the conversation we've been having about, you know, the nuance of health and, you know, these beliefs we have about bodies and diet and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. is a book called Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. She's a registered Ooh. dietitian. She's very, very respected in the eating disorder field. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent book that goes into analyzing why we believe what we do, 
um, the different systems that contribute to that from the medical field, the diet field, et cetera. And the mm-hmm. second is um, The Body is Not an Apology by I mm. Taylor, but I think it's Sonia Renee Taylor. I'll it's pop it, yeah, in the show notes. Yeah. Extraordinary book. It also more recently comes with a workbook. She's a poet um, and, wow. you know, author. And this book is phenomenal. Again, looking at the wider systems of why we believe things about our bodies, other bodies in all different kinds of marginalized experiences, um, just a mind opener so that when you do look at those things, like my advice to people is never just don't look at it, get off it. Mm. It's, you need to equip people with a filter so that they can experience the best of it and mm. analyze and leave aside the worst of it. Um, yeah. That's a really good point because otherwise you're kind of trying to live in a little eggshell and it's like, no, unfortunately, this is where we're at. So let's build the tolerance to like be like, that's shit, that's good, and I'm going to go here. And I can honestly say with that awareness and the way that I engage with social media in a very discerning, intentional way, Mm. other than the time I spend on it where it's just kind of mindless, my social media doesn't make me feel bad. It hasn't been a long time. So. And that's the feedback I get from clients when we get through this inventory stage and we get to the intentional stage and they're learning about diet culture and they're learning about body diversity and body acceptance. Social media just doesn't have to make us feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it would, you know, stand to reason to look at it as, you know, just like you have to learn any skill, that's a skill too. And as you say, so we have to teach Mm -hmm. people how to, benefit from it and how to leave aside the things which are just out and out damaging yeah wow very powerful and practical uh information I think I personally have learned a lot I'm shocked by a lot of the statistics you shared but also feeling quite you know hopeful with understanding the amount of work that's being done behind the scenes that really is something good to hear it's not something that you hear about all the time so I'm 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 glad to hear that I'm happy that we were able to share some of our own personal experiences because it is so, uh, a lot of people have common experiences in terms of the way that we were brought up with what health is and diet culture and all of that. And it's important to, you know, share that information so people can kind of latch on and be like, huh, like, is that really what suits my values? But um, I think, where can people find you? So people can find you on social media. Yes. Yep, Pretty much Instagram. the only place they can't find me is TikTok because I refuse. Um, Good on you. Good on you. That was a real generational barrier for me. I was like, <laughs> I just can't. Like, I just cannot. Not, not one happening. No. Yeah. Um, so place, the best. place I'm most active at the moment is Instagram. So what Mia did next, we also have the Beyond Body Coach page as well, which is, you know, and we have like this morning we did a live with one of our coaches who's in Germany. So we, mm-hmm. you know, try to provide those resources and, you know, answering questions that we can answer on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube channel and uh, which is what Mia did next. And then I have a podcast Beyond Body on Spotify, Apple, pretty much everywhere. They've been on hiatus yeah. for three months because I was just living in a property that made it impossible to record. Beautiful. That will now be solved, so that will be yes. coming back. Um, We're back. <laughs> yes, and if you're interested in sort of our what we do as coaches to come and check out the website, which is beyondbodycoach.com. As I said, um, most of our coaches are waitlisted. Um, they're very in demand, um, but by all means, please do get on the waitlist because we try to get we try to get help to as many people as we can as quickly as we can. And we're in Europe, um, 
Dubai, America, Australia. So we try to accommodate people from all over the world. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I'll pop all that information below for everyone listening. But um, I could chat for days because there's so many things that like just get me going about these, these conversations. But um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate your time and all of your knowledge. So thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.